Welcome to Grown Up. I'm Avery Moore-Kloss, and today we have a very special episode lined up. Not only are we talking to a real-life kick-ass midwife, but we are talking to my real-life kick-ass midwife. So, what's it like to be the very first person a baby sees? Let's find out. I'm a grown-up, all I wanted was to be a grown-up, now I'm grown-up. Before we dive into midwifery, I want to say a thank you to everyone who shared, reviewed, commented, texted, and emailed me after our very first episode. I am so excited that you're excited about Grown Up. And I didn't say this before, but the podcast will have a new episode every second Thursday for the first season. So mark it on your calendar, folks. Okay, let's talk about babies. Right off the hop here, I'm going to out myself. I, Avery Moore Kloss, had a home birth. Let me say from the beginning that home birth was never something I thought I would do. I had a lot of ideas about what a home birth looked like. Largely, those ideas were wrong. And this pain intolerant podcast maker was going to have that sweet, sweet epidural I dreamed of. But at the very last minute, we made a decision not to go to the hospital and to stay at home for the birth of our daughter. I will spare you the gory details mostly because I forget all of the gory details. But I will introduce you to the woman who calmly walked me through one of the best and one of the most life-alteringly painful days of my life. It was, it was worth it. It was worth it. I'd also like to go into this saying, there is no one right way to bring a baby into this world. However you introduce your baby to the world, you're a rock star. And whoever led you through your birthing or performed your C-section, they're probably a rock star too. Speaking of rock stars, Heather Taylor is one. She's also a mom, a midwife, and an all-around badass baby catcher. Here she is. Hi, my name is Heather Taylor. I live in Paris, Ontario. I'm a midwife, and I'm a mother of two. When I grew up, I wanted to be um, a healthcare provider in some capacity. I knew that I wanted to work in healthcare. I really liked helping people, and I was interested in medical stuff, uh, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be. And now you are a midwife. A midwife is um, a primary healthcare provider that supports women through pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Uh, So I do um, prenatal care. I have a clinic um, where I see people prenatally. Um, I go, I attend people in labor. I'm present for their birth. And then I do postpartum care where I see people either at home or in my clinic um, just to follow up after they've had their babies. You're doing great. Well done. So you get to see lots of cute babies. Lots of cute babies. (laughs) And now... As we do, what I like to call a 30-second history of the job. A bit that actually takes me about a minute and a half. But really, who's counting? Stop counting. The beginnings of midwifery is actually quite simple. Ever since babies have been born, midwives have been part of the process. 
They may not always have been called midwives, which is an old English word meaning with women, but there are mentions of midwives in both ancient Greek and Roman texts, plus the Bible even mentions midwives. Genesis chapter 35 verse 17 is the first reference if you like looking these things up. Throughout history, specifically in the last four centuries of the Middle Ages, like many female healers, midwives were very often misunderstood and actually accused of witchcraft. Skip over a few more centuries and the movement to teach, train, and regulate midwives begins in the early 1900s in Great Britain. That's largely why many people believe midwifery is of British origin. That and the popularity of the show called The Midwife. Watch it. It's good. While midwives are being trained and certified in Europe, it took us a little longer to come to our senses across the pond as births moved out of the bedroom and into hospital beds. As the 1960s and 70s rolled around, though, women became more interested in natural birth again, away from an institution. And that's when midwives started gaining more mainstream popularity. Of course, this is also where natural and home births gain kind of, quote, hippie status, a view of midwifery that has faded over the years as midwives have carved out an expertise in low-risk births. By 2017, over 42,000 midwifery-led births were recorded in Canada, according to the Canadian Midwives Association, and roughly 10% of all births in North America were led by midwives. Where I live, in Ontario, new parents with low-risk pregnancies are given a choice between a midwife and an obstetrician. When given that choice, my husband and I chose a midwife. That midwife was the amazing Heather Taylor. Please enjoy our conversation about midwifery misconceptions and her ability to keep cool and calm under pressure. Heather, thank you so much for coming and oh. being on Grown Up. I so appreciate you being here. Well, thanks for asking me. That's really sweet of you. Hey, no problem. Um, so you're a midwife. I have billions of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can just start by telling me, um, and I think this is a question I have a lot from people who are like, oh, you had a midwife. What's the difference um, between a midwife and an obstetrician? So um, we all take care of women in pregnancy and and birth. Um, Midwives have a little bit of a different philosophy and a little bit of a different model. We tend to um, take care of the low-risk people, whereas obstetricians uh, tend to be more the high-risk care providers. Um, We also, because we just take care of low-risk women um, and pregnancies, we have um, a model that allows us more time to take care of people. So we have longer prenatal visits. Um, We're able to really develop a good relationship with our clients. Um, We're usually at their births. um, uh, In terms of the clients that we have taken care of, we usually are there to attend their births. Um, And yeah, we just, um, it's just a little bit of a different philosophy. We try to think of birth as a really normal time in a person's life. And uh, we try not to medicalize it um, as much as we can. There was something that you told me when we first went to your office, this idea of like the kind of consent that you're get, can you can it, yeah, do you know what I mean? So yeah, so informed choice is one of our sort of tenants um, where we think it's really important that we are um, there to provide information to our clients, but ultimately our clients are the primary decision makers in their care. Um, a lot of people come to midwifery care because they want to choose things that are sort of outside of what the normal medical system would provide, and we're happy to support women in their in their choices, um, even if they're not necessarily choices that we would recommend. As long as they're really informed about it, they can they can make the decisions that are best for them. We really think that women know themselves and their families best and are the are the best decision makers um, for their care. Well, you know what? It was really nice along the process. This idea of like, 
here's your options. You guys tell us like what you, what you decide. Yeah. I really liked that. That was a really nice, like you don't hear that often. Mm. I think when you're in a doctor's office, they're like, here's what's wrong. Here's what we're going to do about it. Well, I I agree. Like that's a huge reason that I was drawn to midwifery in the first place. I do want to say though, that I, uh, we are so lucky, especially in this community, because we are so well supported by our medical colleagues. And that's why I can do my job is that I know that I've got a really good team of, of backup. Um, and I, I know all the obstetricians in our community really, really care about their patients and our clients. And whenever I've needed to involve them in a client's care, they've always been very supportive. And um, so I'm really thankful that we have a good team because despite what somebody wants, sometimes their pregnancy isn't normal. And so to know that we've got a good backup system makes all the difference. And it's the reason I can work, right, is that we have that team that we can all work together. 100%. Yeah. I hear things a lot because people know I had a home birth and then I had a midwife. But what would you say are like the, the top misconceptions that you hear about midwives? Um, certainly that you have to have a home birth. That's not true at all. Um, we believe in informed choice so people can choose where they want to have their babies. Also that you have to pay for midwifery care, which is not true because it's all funded uh, for Ontario residents. Those are the big ones. But I really think that as midwifery is becoming more popular, people are starting to, those myths are starting to be dispelled. So we're, we're starting to, yeah, become more mainstream and people are understanding that it's about choice more than anything. That's awesome. I feel like even from my own experience, Jason was like a little bit tentative. Like, <laughs> what is a midwife? And like, does that mean we have to have a home birth? And like, how full circle we came around to having a home birth. And he was so cool with it. But it is true. I feel like... Um, I was super sure. And he was like, yeah, okay, like we can entertain this. Mm -hmm. Um, And he'd met you before. So I think that probably helped. Um, But it's funny how, you know, you can have these misconceptions. And then along the way, just the care is so beautifully like put together that at the end, Jason was like, whoa, midwives are (laughs) awesome. Like he thought it was such a cool opportunity to see see a different kind of uh, a model, I think. Well, I find too that often the partners that are the most reserved at the beginning are often the ones that are like so convinced at the end. <laughs> you <laughs> it's know, true. it's like such a big transition that they make. It's and they're so usually true. like convincing everybody after that. There's no other option. Have a midwife, have a home birth. hundred percent. But it's yeah, certainly not for everybody. But I know. Mm-hmm. Do you find, and I only ask because this was my experience where like we went in the first day and we're like, listen, we're not having a home birth. <laughs> I think Jason says, but like, I'm here, but just like, so you know, ahead of time, we're not doing home birth. And then um, as we went, you know, you come for a home visit and you're like, you could labor here and you could labor here. And we're like, oh, we're not doing that. And then, you know, a couple of weeks before, like, maybe we should just like get all the stuff on the list just in case. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it just ends up being, you know, you said to me, like, what do you want to do? What are we doing? I was like, let me know the last minute, (laughs) the very last minute. Uh, and you did, and I was like, let's just stay. It just mm-hmm. sem- it seemed like such a natural decision. Do you mm-hmm. find that a lot, that people come in being like, no, 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 we're not doing home birth, and they, they swap? Yeah, to be honest, I think most people come in knowing where they want to deliver, and I think most people follow through on that decision. Every once in a while. They're not all wafflers like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just depends. I mean, certainly some people don't have a choice that will come and assess them in early labor and they'll be so far gone that there's not really, a, it's not really safe to transport in. But I mean, ultimately, I don't want to be at home with somebody who doesn't want to be at home. For me, the biggest priority is to support the woman in her decision making. And we know that women will progress best if they're in the environment that they feel most comfortable. So having a woman at home who doesn't want to be at home, that's really 
really scary for everybody. So we don't want to have that happen. Um, but certainly we have, there's been lots of clients that I've had who have, have sort of changed their mind towards the end of pregnancy. And that's, that's great. As long as they feel that they're making the choice that works for them and they're most comfortable, then I could not be more supportive of that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I feel like we were definitely the people who are like, we're not doing home birth. And now people are like, let me tell you about my home birth. I, I had a friend actually, he was like super squeamish about it. And yeah. him being squeamish about it made me want to tell him about it more. All the gory details. And he was like, you tell everyone about this. And I was like, no. And he was like, you totally do. And I was like, I do. I tell everyone. So maybe let's go back back a tick to um, growing up. You knew you wanted to be in healthcare. What kind of drew you? How did you know as a kid that healthcare was was your jam? I don't know. I just I just really liked. Um, my mom was a nurse, and I you know I'd been to um, hospitals occasionally. I was actually quite ill when I was a child for a spell, and so I'd had a, a bit of exposure to the healthcare system then. Um, I don't know. I just found it intriguing, like the idea of giving people needles and doing IVs and stuff. I found that just kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, I, I when I was in high school, I um, was able to attend a birth of a family friend, which yeah. was a really life changing experience, and um, she had had midwives for her labor and delivery. And um, at that point, I honestly didn't even know that midwifery was a career option. Um, And that's really what opened my eyes to the possibility of becoming a midwife. Um, And then it kind of just took off from there. But yeah, I don't know. Like I just, I liked, you know, checking out, you know, when people were injured and stuff. (laughs) I was just always right in there. And yeah. I'm glad there are people like you out there because I am not of the same (laughs) makeup. So I'm glad there's Heathers out there to help us. Um, So you're at this family friend's birth. And is that something where, like, were you kind of, like, unsure? And then as it went on, you were like, this, you know, this person is an awesome person to look up to. This midwife who's, you know, like, running this show. Or what are you thinking in that moment about like how do your thoughts change on that kind of idea well it was it was interesting because it it wasn't a straightforward birth this woman was having her third baby and she was planning a home birth and then we ended up transporting in and she ended up delivering like moments after we got to the hospital um so it wasn't sort of that like typical midwifery kind of birth that you might envision Um, But I just liked seeing how the midwives were able to be in control of the situation in terms of like managing it and supporting the woman and, um, you know, trying to do everything they could to help her have her birth goals met. And the, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it. I didn't just decide right after that experience. I actually attended this woman's second delivery later on in another year in high school. And um, after that, I started to really pursue what my options were. I, you know, I was a, a, at that point applying to different university programs. And I had applied, like I, I knew at that point midwifery was what I ha- had hoped to do, but I knew that it was pretty competitive to get in. So I had some other backup plans. I, I applied for biology and nursing and um, some, some science programs just so I had some other options. And you know, to my surprise, I got into midwifery on my first, uh, first attempt. So um, it was all kind of a done deal at that point. Um, So you graduate high school and do you go right into midwifery school or? So I went to school in Quebec. So in Quebec, you graduate in grade 11. And then there's a college program called SAGEP. So I did a pre-university SAGEP program, um, which uh, was two years long and then was got into midwifery right after that. So it's kind of equivalent to high school, but it's a bit of a different system. How did you end up uh, at the clinic you're at? 
So the midwifery education program, um, which I did at Laurentian University, sends you to placements all over the province. So I did um, a placement in um, Hamilton. I did a placement in St. Jacobs. I was in Ottawa for a spell. Um, and then I also actually went to Quebec and did a placement at a birth center in Quebec. The final year of my training was the one I did in Hamilton. And so when I was in Hamilton, um, I was there for a year and I went to, I worked at McMaster in terms of that's where we did a lot of our deliveries. I really, really liked working there. We had full scope, um, great working relationships with the medical full team. Scope, what does that mean? So it just means we can manage our own epidurals. We can manage our own oxytocin. So if we're in hospital, we don't have to transfer care for those things. Right. So I really liked being there. Just the familiarity of being um, in that community. I thought, okay, I'm going to apply to all the practices around that have privileging there, um, as well as some other practices. But um, I uh, applied and it was just a, the interview went really well and it felt like a really good fit. It was just a, it's a, um, a practice that tends to just sort of be less medicalized and, you know, we have really good working relationships and it just, it really felt like a good, you know, those interviews where you just feel like oh, it yeah. clicks, it really felt that way. And so, yeah, I, t I took the job and it's just been, it's been such a wonderful place to work. Um, I feel like we have a good balance of clients who are sort of lower risk and want home births and also, a you know, um, some more higher risk folks. So we get to sort of keep our medical stuff on, you know, up to date. You touched on something that I think is maybe another misconception I hear from people is that if you have a midwife, you can't get an epidural. No, you Not can. True, right? <laughs> you can definitely get one. In our community right now, it's a bit tricky. Um, it does require a transfer of care at our hospital. You can still have, like we would still stay involved, but we're just on the cusp of changing that. So um, in the new year, we'll be getting a full scope is what I've been told. So um, that will be a nice change change to be able to manage our own epidurals. How has midwifery changed since you got, you started in 2005 uh, with your own that's practice? That's right. Yep. How, how has it changed, you know, in the past, well, almost 15 years? <laughs> I know, it's been a while. Um, so one thing that's changed is we aren't really delivering at McMaster anymore. When I started, we were doing tons, um, most of our hospital deliveries at McMaster. Now we don't I'm the only one that's holding on to my McMaster privileges, but I'm about to let them go. I guess um, that's why you got into it, right? You were like, this well, is the way, or where, why you were in this area to begin with. To right? be honest, too, that was part of it. But fundamentally, I, I, w I had a hard time, I've had a hard time giving up the idea of not being able to provide epidural services. Right. That's been a little bit hard to let go of. But now that we're moving towards that at Brantford, I'm feeling more confident about letting it go. Um, so that's a big change is people want to be in the community. I, I found when gas prices peaked a few years ago, Ago, people didn't want to drive to McMaster anymore. And that was a time when it really changed over. Um, I think that, you know, the clients are changing. There's, we're seeing more health concerns, you know, with obesity increasing, more diabetes, that kind of stuff. Um, so maybe a little bit more of the sort of medically complicated people. Tell me about, about this, like, once the delivery comes, is that, is that a nerve wracking time for you? Or you're like, okay, let's do it ready to go. When someone texts you to say, you know, I'm having contractions, it's like go time. Oh, like when the birth is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm when, the, when that's happening, I, that's just, I'm happy when they call, when they call, that's great. Cause then we, I go and we just go forward. Um, when I have people that are just like in the back of my mind that I know they're going to go anytime that kind of is more distressing or not distressing, but just kind of more disruptive to my regular life. Cause I think like, Oh, 
okay, so they could call any time and I have to coordinate my life around that. Um, especially if someone calls and says like, oh, I've been crampy, but it's not labor yet and they don't need me right away. That I find like, hard. Okay, in the next 24 hours, what's going to exactly. happen? Exactly. Yeah. And like, I better go to bed early. And um, so that's a bit tricky, but it's, you know, over the, that's one thing that has changed is over the years, I feel more at peace with being on call. Because you just have to. Because if, it, if it's going to, if you can't be at peace with being on call, the profession will eat you alive. <laughs> so just for people who don't know how this works. So if you have a midwife and when are you calling? When's like, what's the instruction that you get about like, what's the right time to, to send you a page? So we don't like to hear from people until they need to be assessed. So for us, it's not helpful to have heads up. We just want to know when you need us. So basically, when people are having, you know, good, strong contractions that are every four to five minutes, lasting a good minute, they don't go away if they get in, you know, the bathtub or the shower if they move around. That's usually when people call us for the first time. Um, and then normally I talk to people on the phone for a bit. I can often tell when I'm on the phone with somebody whether they're in labor or not, because, you know, if they sound cheery and bubbly, most likely it's still early. Um, but, you know, sometimes I'll tell them to take Tylenol gravel and try to have some sleep and then we can reevaluate. Um, if people need me to come right away, obviously I come right away. Or if it sounds like things are really active, then I would certainly go right away. One thing that occurs to me about that system is that probably if someone's calling their midwife, if they were if they didn't have a midwife, they're probably going into the hospital and mm -hmm. getting, getting sent away, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, a is that would you say, one of the benefits of midwives? Like, I'm assuming you're trying actively to keep people who don't need to be in the hospital yet mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a huge benefit. Um, and even if I come to someone's house and assess them and it's still early, then I go away. Like, I don't have to stay just because you've called me and if you're not in early or if you're not in active labor. Um, so rather than even just meeting at the hospital, like me and you meeting at the hospital and me saying, okay, it's still early, Avery, you better go home. It's so much less disruptive to you to just be in your own house. You can be in your PJs, I can come and assess you here, and then, you know, go home if things are still early. So it's just, it's just easier for everybody. And then you get more rest, and then that decreases your likelihood of, like, being super exhausted further on in the process. I think one of the things about midwifery is we really try to cater to women. We really try to help make the experience as positive as possible and as easy as possible, because it's not an easy experience. But um, if we can try to do those little things, it makes a big difference, I think. Uh, in that vein, one thing that's always surprised me about you is how calm you are. <laughs> like, we had a home birth and I pushed for two hours and like, everything was so calm. How do you stay so calm under pressure? That is, I, I, that is hard to answer. I don't know. I just... Maybe I seem calm, but I'm not on the inside. <laughs> Certainly have my anxious moments. But I guess I feel like, um, you know, there's a midwife that I that told me years and years ago that there's there's no emergency that can't wait for you to take a breath. And I thought that was that was really astute because you're right, like being panicked or getting worked up actually doesn't help any emergency. So um, if you can, I, I guess it's probably just partially just my nature that I'm, I tend to be a calm person, but I, you know, whenever I've dealt with emergencies, um, I just find that I kind of go into autopilot and the calmer I can be, the easier it is to manage things. Um, but when things are going well, when things are going straightforward, it's just lovely. Like it's lovely. It doesn't matter if you're pushing for two hours, if things are progressing and you're doing great and the baby's happy, that's like a positive thing. That's not something that would provoke anxiety in me. That's a positive thing. Even though when you're in the moment as the birthing person, it doesn't feel very calm. It actually is for everybody else who is used to it. <laughs> yeah. 
obviously you talk a lot about the, you know, when it's easy and when it's mm. going well, what is it like for you when it's not going well? And what's, what's an example of that? Like what kind of things come up where, you know, it gets a little bit trickier than, than what you're, you know, what you're always hoping for and what everyone's yeah. hoping for. So tricky situations could be like, the baby's heart rate not being normal, um, a woman having heavier bleeding after the delivery. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of emergencies that can happen. One thing um, that's part of our training is that we do emergency skills every two years. So every two years, we have to do a midwifery-specific emergency skills training um, where we review all the sort of main types of emergencies that we encounter, and we talk about how they get handled in a home setting, a hospital setting. So it just becomes real muscle memory that we have to keep reviewing it and practicing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously awful when neg- like when that kind of thing happens, when, when there's sort of a, an outcome that people aren't expecting. But for the most part, um, the clients we deal with have normal births and normal experiences. But certainly it's important to keep our skills up and to be prepared to deal with emergencies. And, you know, we have equipment for, you know, if we're at home and someone is bleeding more heavily, we have different drugs we can use. We take, a, you know, a lot of the initial steps um, with any emergency are the steps that you would have in the hospital. We would do them at home um, and then as sort of do them as we're transporting in. And then we'd be in touch with the hospital and let them know, you know, we're on our way. This is what we're coming in with. They would potentially be getting the OR ready or getting their drugs ready or calling in the team members. Um, If we're in hospital, then, you know, we've got the team right there that can help as well. So when things don't go the way as planned, Mm -hmm. is that a hard thing to bring home with you or have you become used to like leaving it? So, yeah, in the moment, I always find that you just cope in the moment because you need to. Um, But yeah, it's once you sort of, when things have sort of calmed down, that's when it kind of hits you a bit more. That's when you want to have good supportive colleagues, which I'm so thankful I do. Um, And also we do peer reviews. Um, So uh, groups of midwives in the area, not just my practice, but other practices will come together um, and review cases. And so it's a good way because because we do, do so much low risk, we're not seeing emergencies every day. So just to be able to um, learn from other people's experiences and as a way of providing peer support as well, when things don't necessarily go well, um, that's a really valuable resource. That's really nice to have. Mm -hmm. I feel like so many people don't have that in their workplace. Mm -hmm. Even just like if you want to vent about something that happened and like have someone understand, Mm -hmm. I feel like often, especially in corporate places it's like well don't tell anyone that you don't have this together right right (laughs) Right? well then like don't fall in part in front of other people you work with Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. well it's it's valuable it's certainly valuable learning and like there there are times when people give really constructive feedback to or criticism like I would not have managed that that way and you know you learn from that as well so it's uh it is you're right it's a really um important resource for sure well and I, I I'm assuming if you come to midwifery you're also someone who's built to be like you know I talked to recently a paramedic and I was like I could never I could never Mm -hmm. I just I'm just it's just not you know built up in me this idea this like you know calm under pressure and you know remember all your skills and see crazy stuff and not bring it home Mm. um power wash brains off of trains like this is a thing yeah yeah Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> but do you, do you feel a bit of like who you are is built, it has a built-in way, you know, like that you feel more comfortable handling that really tough stuff? Like, is that something that brought you to healthcare in the first place? I don't think it, that brought me to healthcare. I think that that's become a coping me- mechanism to be able to maintain myself in healthcare. To keep going. Yeah. 
Tell me about your schedule. I know that you have another midwife that you work with and Mm -hmm. you kind of switch off. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to think of the healthcare industry and think like, you know, shift work, you're working all night, you're working all day, and you definitely have a different kind of schedule. But how have you been able to create, you know, flexibility in your life through midwifery? Or is it something that, you know, is just like constant go, go, go? So I really like the schedule I have. I do um, a two week on, two week off schedule. So when I'm on call, I do all the births and all um, like all the primary births, all the backups, all the clinic, all the postpartum visits at home, all of that. Um, and then when I'm off call, I have my two weeks off call. I just do one day, usually one day or two days of clinic during that time. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty manageable. And so then my counterpart, Kelly, does the opposite. So it works out really well, especially because my husband has a job where he's out of town. So I can't be on call when he's away. Um, So this works out really well for us. And uh, we're really, my colleagues are really supportive in terms of, um, you know, if there's like a major thing going on, or if if you need some emergency coverage, everyone is always happy to cover for that kind of stuff. And just because it, it can be very difficult to be on call for the first few years of my career, I worked, I was on call all the time. So um, I would have three days off call a month and then two months off a year. And that was so basically I was mostly on call. And that for me just was not conducive to having the quality of life that I was hoping for, because I I like to do things that you can't be on call for. Um, So um, this is a this is, you know, the way I've been working now is really working quite well, especially because we have small kids and, you know, wanting to be there for their events and just to be there in general for them is really important. And if you're always running off, that makes it very difficult for their stability. So you have a four and a six year old, a three Three and and a a six, six, almost seven year old. Yeah. January. So So how do you feel? Do you feel like having children of your own has changed how you give care as a midwife? So, yes, people ask me that a lot, especially right after I had my first daughter. I feel like in some ways before I had kids, my focus was so different. I could just focus on my job, right? Mm. Um, And that was sort of all consuming and that was great. And then after I had kids, obviously the, the focus shifts a little bit. But I feel like now that I have kids... I kind of understand the stakes differently. Like, I feel like I understand now how much people love their babies and how much they love their kids. Um, so that, that for me, has been a little bit of a change. And then just feeling pulled in so many more different directions now, I find that a little bit of a challenge with kids. But I, I think that it is helpful for me in my career to have children and to be able to, like, understand where people are coming from. Has the actual physical experience as well changed, like, what, like to know what a woman mm-hmm. is going through and what it feels like? Has that changed, you know, how you, or, or is it just you're trained for that and, and, and it's the same? Well, I think the physical experience is so different for everybody, right? And even for myself, the two deliveries I had were very different birth experiences. They were both great, but they were very different. Um, I think it is a little bit helpful to know what that's like, but I mean, I may take care of a client who is having a cesarean, and so I won't necessarily be able to relate to what that feels like. I think the important thing is just to be able to be empathetic to people. And so you have to be empathetic to the person who's not coping at all with pain at one centimeter dilated, and you have to be empathetic to the person who's, you know, not having an issue coping. Um, So, you know, just trying to meet people where they're at. Um, I think clients like knowing that I've been through the experience of having kids. I think maybe that's reassuring to them sometimes. But um, yeah, I I don't know if, uh, I don't know if just having given birth makes me better at being a midwife. Hmm. Interesting. Do you feel like being a midwife has made you a better mom? 
uh, <laughs> you'd have to ask my kids that. <laughs> In probably, 20 years, I'll send them an email. <laughs> so it, I think it really helped me for the first six weeks of my children's life. And then after that, I was kind of like, what happens now? Yeah. My husband used to joke. He said, they could grow wings now for all you know after six weeks. Because, totally. yeah, really, it was uh, unknown after that. But, I mean, I think it's good for them to see me doing a job that I really love. And I think it's also really hard for them when I have to leave when they want me. Um, when my kids want me. I think that's hard on them. Um, but I think kids are adaptable. And I, I, I feel like for my kids, this is all they've ever really known. Um, and if I'm not there, if I have to go, my, my husband is there. So I think that helps to create some stability for them. Um, and again, it's all they've ever known. So I, I think that they wouldn't. I, I think they are okay about it. Hopefully, we'll see in fifteen years. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure they'll resent me for some of it. But, <laughs> but isn't that the gig of parenting? Yeah. Do your best, and they'll still resent you. Yeah, you're right. Um, if you could give some advice to either someone who is trying to get into midwifery, thinking about it, or just like in general to people who are trying to decide what they want to be when they grow up, what would you? What's your like best nugget of advice you could give? I think the thing about midwifery is that it's a calling. I feel like if you're going to be able to hack it in midwifery, it's because there's something in you that just has to do it. So I don't think there's really convincing people. I think if people just have it in their hearts, they will find a way. Um, some people get into the program and have a pager for a little bit and then realize that it's just not for them. And so maybe it's just try. And if you, if it works great and if it, if it doesn't, that's okay too. But I think the people that really feel like it's meant to be, will will get there. It might take applying to the program seven times and people have done that. And then they've gotten in and they've had long careers after that. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I don't think it's something that can be forced, you know? Yeah. I like that answer. Okay, this is my last question, and it's usually my last question. When you go home from a long day at work, or you have to get up and go to work, what's the contribution that you're hoping you're making to the world in the job that you do? Like, what's what's the thing you tell yourself that, like, I do this because? I, th I do it because I think that it makes people's experience of giving birth a little bit better. I feel like... Um, the thing that I love most is seeing the transition that women make. When they come into care, they're often nervous, they're often uncertain, and then I see them move through the process of gaining confidence, giving birth, having a child, figuring out the whole process afterwards of parenting, and then leaving my office at six weeks postpartum as a confident parent. And I think for me, feeling like I can be a positive influence in that process is the best thing ever. Because I think if parents can start off their journey with confidence and from a place of strength, I think that's only going to have a positive impact on those kids and on themselves. So I guess that's what keeps me going <laughs> through those 3 a.m. pages. Oh my gosh. Well, if I could back that up and gush over you for just a moment, oh. I will say that I never thought I would feel this way because I'm generally an anxious person. But I remember very clearly, like, having Audie, you, like, took her away and did whatever you do and brought her back. And I just had this very um, strong feeling of, like, she's going to be okay. And a lot of that came from you and Kelly. Um, just, like, the encouragement that you gave me and um, and just, like, you know, like, any worry I had, you guys were like, it's going to be fine. 
here's what you can do. Here are some options, like try this and then try that. And just this idea of like having people come to your house after you've had a baby and just be like, how are things going? Let's check. You don't have to go to an appointment and get them in a car seat. It was just beautiful. And so I just um, want to give you some love for that because uh, all along the way, it really never felt like an emergency. It never felt like things were wrong. And it I just ha- had this like overall sense of like, it's going to be fine. Like, you know, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be fine. And to this day, I still feel that way. Like, you know, sometimes it's hard, but it's going to be fine. And I got that from you guys. So thank you. Well, my goal is for you to know that that came from you. <laughs> Maybe, but probably in the rest of my life, nothing is like, it's going to be fine. And somehow about parenting, I'm like, it's fine. She's good. No big deal. Well, I'm so glad that you had that experience and that it all worked out so well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for doing this. I so appreciate it. Oh, it's been fun. You are very articulate and you explain it so well. So thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Grown Up is created, recorded, and edited by me, Avery Moore-Kloss. My company is Folktale Studio. Portions of this episode were recorded at one of my happy places, the Switch Podcast Studio at Wilfrid Laurie University in downtown Brantford, Ontario. To keep up to date on what's coming next, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at GrownUpPod. Over on our social channels, we'd love to hear your interview suggestions. We like to interview regular people who do interesting work, so drop us a name or a profession. And when I say us and we, I mean me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.